what text have we been learning from? What script? Yeah, yeah, Hebrews. And the whole idea, I should have been more clear. The whole idea is who, what is it confronting? Like what is the reality of this Hebrews text confronting to the Hebrew people? And that's one really, really important thing we have to think about when in Hebrews is that Hebrews was written to Hebrews. And we aren't Hebrews. Most of us aren't. Um, We're not Jewish at all, most of us. There may be some. Um, But that's important to think about as we read this because it was written to this deeply Hebrew people that had deeply Hebrew thoughts. And we'll get into today what in particular is very like Hebrew about what we're learning. But um, I wanted us to to quickly divert as I kind of intro this text. I always like to make expectations clear up front. What I believe the text is challenging with us today, just as I believe the text was with the Hebrews in, is our personal religions that we have created. Our personal religions within ourselves that we have created. And I'm going to break all that down. We're going to explain all that. But my hope and prayer is that today we are set free from our religions that we have created, the the things that we have ascribed to God that he has not ascribed to himself. But before we do that, one of my favorite things is productivity. I'd say it's a hobby. And I know a couple of you look like that's the most interesting thing in the world, and the rest of you look like it's just a tragedy. But um, I'll explain. So I love productivity, and there's there's a, like, a formula that you can learn, it's, and it's if this happens, then this happens. If this happens, then that happens. And it's a formula. And it's a computer code, actually. There are websites. If you search this, it'll pop up tons of computer codes and advertising and productivity. And it's if this happens, then this happens, then that happens. Well, one example is, and this is a little like family example, we have lots of children. Actually, we have three kids, but it feels like a lot sometimes. And um, one of my jobs is at six o'clock on the dot every day I wake them up. And so our, our, we have um, one upstairs and two are... And so I walk in room here. I talk with Haley, who's... How old is Haley? Eight? Seven? She's seven. I go into Haley's room, and she is, um, don't tell her I said this, a little dramatic in life, and has this sleep mask that she, what seven-year-old wears a sleep mask? My daughter wears a sleep mask, and it's fluorescent yellow. Um, so I walk in there just the other day. The room's dark except for her face mask is glowing. Um, and so, and her head's covered up by the covers, like almost past her mask. Why? She can't see anyway. But her head's all covered. And so I said, like, ask her if she's ready to wake up, which is, you guys know, is a rhetorical question. But she thought it was a real question. And she didn't say anything and just laid perfectly still. So I thought she was awake. So I'm like, I'm just going to see... Like, if I do this, then this happens. So I said, Haley, what do you want for breakfast? Nothing. 
Then I said, how many pieces of toast do you want? And her fingers creep up out of the covers <laughs> in the two. And so if this happens, then that happens. If she pretends to be asleep, I keep asking her questions until she answers. She gets up. And, 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 but sometimes she won't wake up and get dressed. She wants to wake up and eat breakfast. So I have to have cooked the breakfast. But if she eats first, then I make lunch while she gets dressed. And so there's all these things like if this happens, then I do that. Um, it's a computer thing too. I like if you write an email, I hit like there's a, a shortcut on the keyboard. It's Control T, I believe. It moves an email to my task list. If I can ascribe a date to that task, it puts it on my calendar, and then when I'm supposed to do that task, it pops up, and I don't even have to think about it. It's a formula. If this happens, then that happens, and so it's a productivity tip. We do it all the time, really, without thinking. If your car gets low on fuel, then you stop and get gas. I mean, it's not a big deal. If your friend is acting like a jerk, you talk to them about it. Like, we have all these formulas that we do. It's just really a common thing. I also like those Rube, whatever they're called. And it's, um, it's a series of things that happens, like a... You, you have one thing, it hits this thing, and it, it triggers this, and then it makes these things fall down, and there's these YouTubes. If, uh, it, it's, they're incredible. Minutes long of one thing happening, causing this other thing to happen, this other thing to happen, and it's a chain reaction. If this happens, then that happens. And so um, I was thinking about this, and those are just fun and enjoyable, and the product tips, if that's your thing, fantastic, if not. But what do we think about with our personal faith that if we do this, then that happens? And I'm going to list a few, but I want you to start to answer that question. What things have you improperly thought, if you do this, then God will do that? One thing that's really common, if we pray a certain way. If we say certain words, then that will happen. Which, when I say it, you realize how crazy I sound. But you do it all the time, and I do it all the time. We also think if we quantity pray a lot, then he'll hear us better. Which is funny, because he's not hard of hearing. He doesn't ignore us either, which somehow we think he does. If we sin, then he ignores us, so we got to pray extra hard so he can hear us again. Or if we sin and we pray he doesn't hear us, maybe we act right first, then we can pray and he can hear us. How many of you, don't raise your hands, this is a trick question. How many of you have messed up during the week and then felt weird about coming to church on Sunday? Because of all the perfect weeks you had before, that definitely qualified you to come to church all those other times. Isn't that weird? Like, we realize how crazy we sound when we articulate it, but these are the crazy thoughts we think of all the time because it, we think if this happens in our lives, then God will do that. We also have this list of things. What will make him work in my favor? Or, this one's my favorite, if I'm nice to people and they're a jerk to me, he will take care of them. God will take care of them. 
Yeah, I know. Like I've, I've prayed all. I've, <laughs> that, isn't that isn't that crazy that we think that? But like when I say it, you realize it sounds pretty nuts. But um, we've all thought that, or at least made ourselves feel that. Well, I'm sure they'll be taken care of in the future. The reality is, he probably will forgive them, like he's forgiven us, and embrace them in his grace. But that's not fun to think about. Um, because I say those things, and that's what I think in Hebrews 8, which is where we'll be today. You can go ahead and turn there if you're like Hebrews 8. It's 845 in the Pew Bible. Um, when we ascribe these things to God, we are forming in ourselves and in our minds and our thinking a personal religion, which is actually false. And, and that's what's happened here in Hebrews. We've got to remember he's talking to a Jewish people, a very Hebrew people. And if we know anything about the Jews, if I were to tell you Jew, you would think of probably a list of religious things they have to do. We think of Old Testament and the tabernacle and the temple and the sacrificial system and the feast and all those things that the Jews had to do. And so, but what we forget about is way in the garden, very beginning of our text, it began with a relationship. It, like we, we forget that our faith began with God walking with man and woman in the garden. It was a, a religion of presence, not a religion of rules. Even then, like Moses, he's a, one of those guys that's so fun to think about and read his account with God because he literally is walking in the wilderness one day and a bush displaying the power and presence of God appears to him. And so his relationship started with God himself and, the, and, and his presence being there. Then we read Moses, he leads the people out of Egypt, wilderness. He calls, God calls Moses up into this mountain. And, and we forget before the Ten Commandments came, he saw God's presence and God's power. So much so when he came down, his face was shining with the presence of And yet the people said, we want you to cover your face. Then we look at the tabernacle, which was this tent of, it's called. And he walks into the tabernacle and the presence of God fills this place. So much so, so beautiful that everyone in their other tents, millions of people would walk out in the door of their tents and watch this meeting take place. So before the rules and the regulations that sidetracked them, there was a relationship. And so we, I know if I asked you this personally, if we were talking out in the lobby or on the phone or texting each other, you would say, like I would say, what do you want your faith to be known for? You would say the presence of God, not the rules of God, not these false constructs we make or create. And so that's what we're going after today. So turn it with me if you will, it's eight, it's eight one. Now, this is how it begins. And now what the point in what we are saying is this. I read this when I was preparing. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. And I thought, poor Fred had to preach last week. 
of this rambling text that literally sums up in the very next chapter. Now, what I'm trying to say is, have you ever talked with someone who keeps saying that? Now, what I'm trying to say is, I'm like, I wish you'd try harder. <laughs> so I was just reading. So, so like if, if last week, if you were reading through the text and, and it made sense as it was preached, but if you read it and you're like, what is going on here? You weren't the only ones. And so it says, now what the point of what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty. Now, if we were just reading this, we would skip over to really cool facts. First of all, we have to understand what he is trying to say is this. To a Jewish person, the high priest is very important. Because to the Jewish person, the high priest is everything. He takes part in the sacrifice. He is very much an integrated part of the redemptive process of the relationship the people have with God. Without the priest, the people don't have access. Now, thank goodness, we now have a new high priest. We have access to that priest. I think we as white evangelical Christians probably forget the importance of a priest because we view him as a king, which I think is actually appropriate, but we probably don't think of the priesthood of him ministering to us, caring for us, he's sacrificing for us. But I wanted to point out, there's two things here. It says, now we do have a high priest who is seated. Now there in the tabernacle and in the temple after that, which was where the, we met him, God, there were no seats. The priest did not sit. And that's an interesting idea. The priest in the Old Testament did not sit because the redemptive work that had to take place was on, it was constant. And this makes sense to us when we think about it. If the people would ever stop sinning, then the priest could sit down. But guess what? They were just like us. They keep sinning and sinning and sinning. And so the priest always had work to do. And so there's no place to sit. Now, what's really interesting, he's talking about, we have a new high priest in Jesus Christ. And it says, he sits. And like, like this is kind of one of those things, if you are struggling with forgiveness, if, you, if your thing is, is, I will work to be forgiven, I will work to get back into his good side, or I will do what I can to cleanse myself before I come back to church. I want you to... The first thing here is Jesus, he sat. The redemptive work is complete in Jesus Christ. There is nothing you need to do. And in reality, and maybe this makes you feel better or not, there's nothing you actually can do. That redemptive work is done. And then it says he sat down at the right there of our heavenly father. There's no more important place of prominence. There is no more powerful seat to sit than in that seat. And so Jesus Christ, he sat down, he declared, this work is complete. I'm sitting down in the place of prominence, the place of power. And that tells us the work of this high priest is not only complete, but it's good. Now, a little trivial thing that I was thinking through also about this process there in the temple was this room where the presence would be of God and rumor has it or legend actually tells us that the high priest would get to go into that room once a year and this is just 
church lore, I think. It's actually not in the Bible. Um, the lore tells us a rope would be tied around his leg, and if he fell over dead because of the presence of God, they would pull him out. Now, that makes for a cool story. I've never actually found it in the Bible. But, now a couple of y'all are Googling right now. If you find it, let me know after. That's fine. Um, but that just is a great idea of these people were afraid of the presence of God. There, there was this idea, if I'm not clean enough, if I'm not pure enough, if I'm not righteous enough, God will strike me dead. And Jesus doesn't have that issue at all. He just sits down right there in the power of God, in the presence of God, and says the salvation and redemptive work is, is just complete. So then um, we keep on. And remember, we're still thinking of about that personal religion we've created. If we do this, then God will do that. And we're addressing these things. And then we go on to verse three. He goes, because every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is required that the priest have this. Now, if he were on, now this verse is weird. If he were on earth, he would not work as a priest at all because there are those who offer the gifts according to the law. Basically what it says is Jesus wouldn't make a good priest because it's a repetitive thing and he's offering. That role is already fulfilled. Jesus came to fulfill a new role that exists, not to be the best earthly priest ever, but he came to, to work as his new priest, to complete the work of redemption, not to continue the work of redemption. Now verse, uh, keep on. It goes, and they serve as a copy and a shadow of these heavenly things. Now I want to pause here. Copy and shadow. Have you ever tried to describe a person based on their on what their shadow looked like? You're like, well, it depends on the time of day. Yeah, but you, they could be two foot tall and eight foot wide or 13 foot tall and like six inches wide, right? Like, like, like you get the general idea of what things look like by that, but you cannot really tell. And that's what's happening here. They, these are a copy. They are a, a symbol of the things to come. And that's just a few of these things. Um, the priests were an important role in the Old Testament. I don't mean to say they weren't but just real quick I already mentioned what the priest did as far as like they would go into the temple they take an animal and sacrifice that animal who who here has ever tried to read this this within a year has anyone ever tried to read in a year I won't ask you who was successful but I know what happened the 20th of January comes and you're in Leviticus and you're like boy this is rough but you're kind of hopeful, right? And you're reading about the, the, what you're supposed to do if you want, if you did this wrong or if you're unclean or impure and you sacrifice this and you take this animal to the temple and you kind of get through Leviticus. And then like 1st of February hits and you're in the next book and it's worse. <laughs> and I, I mean, it's like tiring to even try to uh, like, just vocalize it, verbalize it to you of all the laws and the systems and the purification. But in it, we can kind of see a little bit of God 
desiring a relationship with his people. And if this is what wakes them up to the fact that they are needing redemption, then it's worth it. But it's also very difficult just to read through. And just the exhausting life you must have had to be a good Jewish person at that time. Always wondering what you did wrong, what you need forgiveness for, and this constant process. And so that was just a shadow. And I didn't even mention what they can't eat. They can't have seafood, y'all. Like, that's a dark day. They couldn't eat pig. And all these dietary restrictions, again, God caring for his people, but also a shadow, a copy of what's to come. And they would have these like times where they, it, we read it as like a feast. And when I think of feast, I think potluck, where there's good food downstairs and this lady brings her potato salad and this lady brings whatever else and we have a good time. But these were whole times of year where they would often have to travel or go through all these different regulations and things like that. And really, it doesn't seem like a party after all once you really get into it. But these are all shadows and copies of the things to come. I like to travel, and we've traveled different places. One of the things I like to do is to walk into old Catholic churches. Um, They're just, back then and probably still today, the Catholic church was rich, and so they built these cathedrals with no expense. I mean, they, they spent everything they possibly could. And if you walk into these places, there's gold plate everything and gold things and, and beautiful artwork. And it's just their brilliant looks of what man can do as an act of worship. And it's this beautiful, beautiful thing to get to look at. And I always walk in them and look around. And I always try to pause just to enjoy it as a place of worship also, which can be a little bit odd sometimes if, if I'm honest. But I was thinking about that. They were intentionally created as places of worship, but the presence, most of the time, it's hard to find the presence there that it's supposed to be. And I was thinking about that in the Old Testament, the tabernacle and the temple were the same way. There are pages in our Old Testament about what the tabernacle was supposed to look like. And keep in mind, this tabernacle is actually, it's a, it's a tent, glorified tent that they would have to put up and take down, move it, put it up and take it down. And they did this lots of times as they walked wilderness. And then even in the temple, when they constructed the temple, they constructed it to be beautiful. And we can read how, what it looks like and, and the, how it inspired these people. But the point isn't the construction, I don't think. Because it talks about it. It says, you know, do this very specifically. The point is that was the place people were called to meet him and God, to be in his presence. And so, again, I'm kind of asking you to think about what is that thing or things that you've ascribed to God not correctly, that are robbing you of the presence of God. We've done it, I think, accidentally to try to get control of God. But what it's doing is robbing us of the relationship and the presence he's called us to with him. So, again, what are those things that are the copies and shadows, but not the real thing? So we have to continue on in six it says this, and Christ has obtained a ministry that is, and I love these words, much more excellent. 
So he's taking what's previous. He goes much more excellent, and, and he's giving something that's new. Who has ever tried to quit something they weren't supposed to do? Like a habit. Who's ever tried to quit a bad habit? Anyone try to quit a bad habit? Yeah, I try to quit food sometimes. I try to quit eating donuts, which is mine. Now, who here has ever quit a bad habit and replaced it with a different bad habit? Yes, I'll be like, I will not eat any donuts this week, and I eat like three gallons of ice cream. You know, I'm not sure which is worse. Or like, hey, I'm going to quit watching so much TV and spend a lot more time on Facebook, right? It's just one of those, like, like who here has ever, true story, my, we have three kids. My one, he's 10. He has an Xbox. He got it for his birthday. And so we try to limit screen time. And for all the parents that are looking at, we try to limit screen time, I just said. Um, and so the other day I call into him, hey, Seth, your time's almost up. And he goes, okay, dad, which I'm like, there's something wrong. He, um, he sounds compliant. And then um, I look in there, and he's turning off the TV. And I'm like, I brought the wrong kid home from school. And so um, I look in there, and he's, he's turned it off. And I'm like, man, this is weird. And he comes in and asks me if he can watch TV. And so it's just one of those, like, like, like whatever we take away, we have to replace with new things. And that's what they're talking about here. This old covenant is going, but Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent. And he mediates it better because it's enacted on better promises. He takes the old, he comes with the new. It's like if you were at a... a like if you had like a new car, if you wanted to a new car, if you, you, you go, if you've ever been to this process, you understand what this process looks like now. It takes forever. It can be a used car too. You go in and there's a price on the car, but we all know that's not the price you're supposed to pay. And um, if you didn't know that, I'm sorry. But you go in, that's the price. That's the price they want you to pay, but that's not the price you're, you will pay. You will pay a lesser price than that. The, your game is to see how, how far you can get that down. And so you go in and you negotiate a deal that's better. Now, there are those here in this room, you are terrible at this. It makes you uncomfortable. You get anxious. You start to feel terrible for the him. What if he can't feed his family anymore? What if, what if he goes broke and, and he's homeless and it's all your fault because you talked him down on that price? There are people here that feel that way. I'm not one of them. <laughs> I had a hobby in college where I'd stop by used cars lot and just negotiate prices just for fun. I promise you. It wasn't, it wasn't, I know that makes me a jerk. That's okay. Um, <laughs> It wasn't, it, it, like, I was kind of in the market for a truck, but really it was just fun. Um, and just to see the price. I love traveling to different countries because that's completely appropriate in these places to talk about price. Never pay the price they offer you at first. But that's what Jesus does here. He comes and he, he's like, you know what? We're not, I'm going to negotiate us a better deal on this. And at the very end of the day, we're, and we're starting to get there, I'm going to tell you what is, but I want you again to be thinking, what is that thing? If I pray enough, if I pray the right way, if I behave, if I do enough good things, it'll counteract 
bad things, even though you understand that's contrary to his grace, but we still kind of feel that way. One day I can do enough to actually be worthy of his love and care for me. If I get this stuff done, if I read the Bible enough, I pray enough, come to church enough, work in the community enough, then that person I've been praying for to have a relationship with will come into my life or I can be restored back with that person. What are those things? Because Jesus has come to negotiate a deal that's better. So now let's go down to verse 10. This is an Old Testament quote, oddly enough, talking about this new promise and covenant. And I love that this new covenant was talked about in the prophets of the Old Testament because it lets us know it's not just the new covenant, really. We call it the new covenant, but really this covenant isn't, it's not just new. These Jewish people have heard about it before. This is the covenant he originally planned to be in a relationship with us his people, to have us enjoy his presence. Remember, it goes back into the very beginning of the Bible when he walked with man, Moses and Abraham and all these others. He wants to be us. He wants us to be in his presence. But verse 10, to be a Jew up till this point is about being reminded of the things you're supposed to do. Don't touch that. Don't eat that. Don't do that. Sacrifice this way. I can't imagine trying to teach your children this stuff. It's hard enough to keep them off the Xbox for less than like eight hours at a time. I'm just kidding. It's only three hours. Um, but imagine trying to teach them. But these were so ingrained. I, I, was, I was at this event last week. And I heard a guy talk about it. He goes, this was so ingrained. Even one of our apostles struggled going and preaching the gospel to a Gentile because he, as a Jew, he wasn't supposed to be talking to Gentiles. Now, an apostle named Peter is wrestling with sharing the gospel with a Gentile because he's so ingrained, you're not supposed to associate with Gentiles. Like this was the depth of this law was ingrained. And so that thing that you're wrestling with, that if this, then God will do that, is so deeply ingrained in you. But it says this uh, in 10. He goes, I will put the law in their minds and write them on their hearts. It's not going to be something we have to be prompting ourselves to remind ourselves. You're not going to have to have an accountability partner that texts you and says, hey, don't eat that today. Or, hey, don't, you know, like it's not about that these days. I think this verse here is why. Um, when we're having talks with people, even if they're a Christian or they've never been to church before in their life, that we have a common thing within us to share our faith. One of my friends, I think I've told you guys this before, he's never been to church ever. His kids have only attended church one time. That's because we, we took them. So these people like do not go to church. And one day he, we were hanging out. He had had a little much to drink. Um, and he, he texts me. He goes, you've got his, he goes, you have, he goes, I, I find you a very kind person. because his, 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 what did he say? Uh, you love him and he loves you. And that's why you're such a kind person. Talk about God. My non-Christian pagan friend knows I have God's love in 
heart. I've never really said, hey, Landon, I love you because God's love is in my heart. But he knew that. Now it took alcohol to bring out the truth. But hey, it's there. But, but, but I'm telling you, I think as we go minister to people and serve people, we can understand that, that God has um, ingrained this in, the, in all people. And he's calling all people to himself. And there's this thing within us and within his people, his creation, that's calling them to himself. It's right here. It's, it, he's, 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 it's in our thoughts. It's in our hearts. And then as we start to wrap this up, I do want to give us the final, like, solution. And, and um, I don't want to. So this is eight of chapter of 13 chapters in Hebrews. And realistically, the rest of the five chapters or four chapters in Hebrews, I can't count. So whatever the math is there. Um, it's actually talking about this. So I don't want to steal that thunder, but I can't leave you guys with this if we think this, then this happens. I can't leave you guys without that. So he, uh, turn with me to Ephesians 2. And if you need to have a piece of paper here or um, a pen here, or a bookmark here to recall this, I think this is worth reading a few times. As, as you have identified that false religion, that personal religion you have ascribed to God that is not true. That thing that you've been working so hard for to get in his good favor, to get him to work, that thing you're doing to control him. If you want to leave that today, I want to encourage you to do that. There'll be a prayer team there during the worship time. You don't ever have to go back to the prayer team, by the way. You can pray right where you're at. But there's something about articulating that thing out loud to another person that's very powerful. And I find if we speak things, we don't tend to keep things. And so I'd encourage you to do that today. But I want to read this. I'll be in Ephesians 2. I'll start a few verses in at 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his love he has for us, which he, he loved us. So if you're keeping track, this is about, it's, it's him, rich in mercy because of his great love for us. So we as the recipient have not done a single thing yet. So then we keep on. Um, even when we were, Sits say in our trespasses, dead in our trespasses. Now, I don't like to think about this, but if you ever looked at a person who was dead, they weren't doing anything, like nothing, which sounds redundant. I sound goofy right now, but dead people don't do anything. And if you are in your trespasses like that, you're not doing anything. It's all him. So again, if you're keeping track, there's nothing we have done to deserve and earn his love and grace for us yet. And it, it said this, um, he, he created us alive together, made us alive together with Christ. 
by grace you have been saved. And that's the salvation. That's the gospel that we preach. That's the if this, then that. If we don't do anything but surrender our lives to him, he saves us. He makes us alive together with Christ because it is by grace you have been saved. And then, then check this out. In 6, he, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he's already there because the redemptive work is complete. And when we are saved, he puts us in that seat next to him. And the only time you sit in scripture is when the work is complete. And so that's a reminder, a prompting to us that his redemptive work in us is complete. Like we are a saved people. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And there are those here today that are striving so hard to make him like you or care about you or answer your prayers. And I'm just here to tell you that work is done in Jesus. And like, I know you're, you're exhausted and tired from trying. And I know it's like someone, you're, you just, it's like giving terrible advice to someone like, like just cease and let him be him and let, let the truth of scripture be read to you. Because you are sat with him and that work is complete. So I want to pray over us today as the worship team comes up that we will get rid of those if this then that stuff with God and to be able to embrace him and the redemptive work he has done in us. As we are sanctified, yes, things will come up, but the point today is just to live in his salvation and grace. Let's pray.